once again to the Greg Poops Film Club here, convening one more time at Encore uh, Ultra Base here in the fabulous tennis shoe district of Los Angeles, California, in the pulsing, throbbing epicenter of Hollywood, where would-be street urchin hoodies with flat-billed caps rub up against Orthodox Jews in a miasma of a frisson of excitement that's hitherto unknown here under the heated lamp that is the giant orange orb that beats down upon Lower California while the palm frond sways so uneasily in the show business-laden distrustful-assed breeze. So once again, the Greg Proofs Film Club takes to the ether here from the salubrious confines of Hollywood's most prestigious and entertaining <laughs> movie theater where chances are not only taken, but dice are rolled and cards are flipped and worlds turn and worlds collide. The Cinefamily here on Fairfax Avenue. Hooray. Thank you for cheering. I appreciate that. If you're listening out there in Greg Poop's Film Club land, our show is only because everybody out there wants to talk about movies and loves pictures. And I, I thank you for uh, tuning in, if whatever you're doing right now. But I have a much better idea of what people are doing during the Greg Poop's Film Club than I do during my regular podcast, because they could be doing anything during uh, my other podcast. But during this one, I'm guessing they're queuing a film up. Uh, and speaking of which, tonight's picture is the unassailable 1944 broody film noir psychosexual freak out that is uh, where murdered girls are in love with guys. It is awesome. It's called Laura, and it's by Otto Preminger. And if you want to see it for free, you can go to uh, uh, FFI. No, wait a minute. I, my eyesight's terrible. F-F-I-L-M-S dot org stroke Laura hyphen 1944 stroke. That's F-F-I. So it's fulfilms dot org stroke Laura hyphen 1944 stroke. Uh, and, and they show it for free there. And also TCM showing it on the 19th. I don't know if this will go out by then, but I expect they'll be showing it time and time again. So that's two good ways to see Laura uh, for free. For those of you who've joined us here tonight, hooray for you. It's tax time here in Hollywood. And so uh, next to the days after Yom Kippur, it's really the saddest days of all the year. Uh, there's a, a malaise that lays upon the land and a certain... Uh, uh, um, you know, a tang in the air that's metallic almost uh, with, with bitterness at the uh, un- upcoming um, uh, tax break that we're um, forming here. At, I don't actually feel like everyone emotionally feels it like that. I just thought it would make a device that I could jump off into this next piece of fucking palaver. So here we go. Um, <laughs> We, uh, uh, we've had a lot of fun doing the, uh, the picture so far, and uh, I hope you uh, enjoy that. Laura is uh, uh, another wartime picture. Um, we've had a lot of good wartime pictures on the show. We showed, um, uh, well, Big Sleep, which is slightly after, and, uh, or 40s pictures, rather, uh, and um, Gilda, and uh, the Lifeboat, which is a straight-up World War II. Uh, Nazis are shooting down our shit movie. And uh, I think they have a certain bite uh, that, that is inescapable. 1940s pictures, people snap off at each other. And this is one of the snappiest pictures you'll ever see. But before we go into that, let's talk about me. Um, <laughs> I was at the TCM Film Fest all over the weekend. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite good. I don't know who you guys saw, but I'm going to go through a short list. And I actually got to touch and meet some of these people. I didn't get to touch and meet all of them. But if I wished, I did. Uh, I'm enough of a fanboy. And Jennifer and I went there and hung around all bloody weekend long. And um, I had to go to Cleveland and do a gig. And I came back and went the next morning. That was how, yeah. 
And believe me, I didn't sleep in Cleveland because you know what? Cleveland is fucking non-stop, bitches. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever stayed in Middlesburg. I think it's called Middlesburg. I kept calling it Middlesbrough. And everybody was like, no, you're not in the north of England, bro. <laughs> Uh, although it, the feeling was kind of like that. It was quite near the airport, and we did some gig at a very nice place called Baldwin Wallace, Uni- Baldwin Wallace University. And uh, uh, how do I know it was a nice place? Because it was the first university in Ohio to have women on campus and, and, and mixed race. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they were liberal Methodists. Who knew? In any case, uh, uh, you know, we stayed up all night in or Middlesburg because, uh, you know, between the McDonald's and the car park... There was a place, we went to a bar, but there was a place called like the Brew Pub. I'm not kidding, or something like that. And then you just like, you think, mm. uh, I, I love things on a big screen. Um, sports from a million different channels and Sports Center. Not my favorite thing on a big screen to see all around me while I'm drinking. Uh, I prefer, a, a, um, you know, a cozy confines of a, a delightful smoke-filled bar where people are tamping their pipe into a dish and people are ordering brandies and there's liveried waiters coming up with little white napkins on their arm and uh, uh, I'd never been to any place like that but that's what I <laughs> prefer but I don't get that uh, I get, you know you always get like the closed caption uh, of, of sports center while you're trying to have a drink and you look up and it, one of the words is so hideously misspelled it'll be there and they've spelled it there and you're like who is doing the closed captioning and then you realize that your life has been boring down to trivialities by the giant corporate powers that be and that you once again have to seize hold of your own destiny and so you order a shot with a beer back thinking that that'll get your cerebral cortex to bang faster and then you'll be able to make more connections but all it really does is cloud your judgment and then you think well I think coke and bondage would be good tonight and then the next thing you know you're driving a half track backwards down a fucking busy street and shit and the cops are on your dick and you spend a couple nights in jail and uh, it all gets resolved eventually in court but So that's the kind of escapades I like to have at the TCM Film Fest. Uh, There's a Hooters on Hollywood Boulevard, which is uh, at once disappointing and exhilarating because it says to everyone who comes to Hollywood, Arkansas has sent conquistadors and they have planted a flag here. (laughs) But it also indicates that... uh, there's going to be pantyhose worn under orange shorts. And I, I'm going to ask you, the listener, and you, the audience member here tonight, when is that not a good time? Time's up. Time's up. It's always a good time. If you remember the words of the group Poison, it ain't nothing but a good time. Yeah. I raise a glass to all of those working so hard every day. If living life is such a crime, Lord, they can pull me away. Yes, do ya. <laughs> Fucking A. So we roamed like uh, uh, Aaron. Al- do alpacas live on the pampas? They don't. Capybara, whatever. Some animal that we roamed as an animal that would live on the pampas would roam, stopping only to nibble at grass and take water. And in a hole that had been trodden on by dozens of other animals. You'd think there'd be animals should have paw sanitizer, don't you think? And shit, or hoof sanitizer? You ever notice when you're in public, um, people touch everything and sneeze and shit? And it's gross. Uh. 
Thank you. One person finds this very amusing. Everyone's all, there's a movie, right? <laughs> it's called the Greg Proops Film Club, not the Your Fucking Agenda Film Club. <laughs> Consider that, my tiny munchkins. Come out, come out, wherever you are. We saw it last night in 3D. What a freak out, man. Like, I, I was... Yeah, exactly. I was mildly high. I mean, I wasn't like blazing saddles or anything, but we, we came into the theater and the all, I didn't know this because I haven't been to a 3D movie and I guess I went last year to one, but we left after two minutes because I got a migraine and uh, my period. And uh, I, yeah, I, huge manginic ache. Um, the... We went to this one and they gave us all glasses. And I didn't know that you had to join the Legion of Superheroes or whatever to watch a 3D movie. The glasses were like this fucking big, like total prop glasses or whatever. You know, like one day Gotham City will be mine. Do you understand mine? <laughs> um, and the little kids were awesome. There was a kid in our row and he ate, I think, the equivalent of a bushel of popcorn. Uh, I didn't I don't know the exact measurement of a bushel, but it appeared that he got that much down. And uh, he was he put the glasses on. And this is what I love about children immediately, because thank you. That's what 3D is all about. Yeah, the movie's in 3D. I'm wearing the glasses hoping 3D is going to happen before the movie starts. Because, right, that's the promise of 3D. You feel like you're going to put them on and all of a sudden it's going to be like... Right? And it's never... 3D is maybe the most disappointing process in the history of film. But it was pretty good, I have to say. The twister was off the hook. Uh, in the th I'm talking about The Wizard of Oz, if anyone's not hip to the jive yet. Um, it was Judy Garland Day at the festival yesterday. John Frick, who's an amazing historian and keeper of Judy Garland, uh, and has written many documentaries and, and the American Master series and books, and uh, as a consultant on virtually every aspect of her career in The Wizard of Oz in particular. Um, he, we went to a speech. He gave a speech. We went to, what am I, my mother? What, you know, Greg, you should talk about the family when you're skit. <laughs> I, I doubt that people would want to hear about Dale flipping the truck. Um, his speech it, he had a presentation with film clips and a very well thought out uh, chronology of Judy's career and whatnot. and uh, they showed um, and I'm going to repeat some of his stories because that's what research is <laughs> plagiarism plus no time uh, one of the stories was sensation it was that he showed a clip from Judy Garland in Judgment at Nuremberg. And if you've ever seen it, it's a, a very highly charged little, you know, early 60s piece. It's only 15 years after the war and they make a picture about the trial, right? Uh, that happened after the war. So they're trying to hang all these Nazis for committing crimes. And every star in Hollywood's trotted out. And Maximilian Schell, who just passed, hallowed be that name. This one's for Maximilian tonight. Spilling a little for a dead bro Heim. Uh, and I'm giving it the German pronunciation. 
he was a very sexy actor and he won the Oscar for that picture and he's the uh, questing prosecutor he actually defends the Nazis in the movie yeah it's great and uh um, I don't mean that defending Nazis is great. I mean, his character in the movie. Don't call in. Don't phone me. Don't email me. Don't do anything. Sit with your hands under your thighs in rapt attention and cock your head to the side so you can hear better. That's what you're to fucking do. Uh, and he was a superb actor. In any case, they showed this thing. Have I given anyone leave to get up or move? And if you are moving, red whips. Um, so uh, they brought Judy out. And this is, you know, Judy didn't make a lot of movies in the 60s. And they bring her out and she was the lover of this, like, guy. And, and she's totally innocent. And he browbeats her into submission. And Montgomery Clift is in the movie as well. It's, uh, you know, a later picture for him, obviously, too. And he plays someone who's been, like, horribly had brain surgery. But, you know, just beyond, beyond. And evidently, uh, Stanley Kramer, who made a load of issue movies, um, Montgomery Cliff was sitting in the corner watching Judy do her turn in the movie. And her turn's fantastic, really dramatic. You're crying and shit. And uh, evidently, he wept through the whole take and then went over to Stanley Kramer and went, she's doing it all wrong. (laughs) That is a good fucking story. Uh, I really loved that one but then, and they said Judy was beautiful uh, but we watched The Wizard of Oz in 3D and um, the munchkins in 3D are good um, because when they first appear it's a mid it's a mid shot right and she's standing with the, the good witch and the good witch is extra freaky in 3D I have to say I enjoyed the good witch more than I ever had uh, in any viewing previously although you what? she just sparkles she's everywhere all over the screen someone said she just sparkles. She's everywhere, all over the screen. <laughs> Private O'Reilly, you're right. <laughs> now everybody lock and load. We're going in there to take care of these fucking Malaysians who stole this plane. And when we find them, we're going to light them up. But remember when you're in there, what the private said. Sparkle. Be everywhere at once. Light up the night. All right. Those are your marching orders. Sarge, I'm scared. I know, Kozlowski, we're all scared. That's why I'm wearing this specialty Liza Minnelli butt plug as I go into combat tonight. Not only does it give me a direct order to attack, it also distracts me so I feel free. There's a certain amount of equipoise this platoon needs, and I'm here to provide it. I don't want to go in there, Sarge. Washington? That is the worst impression of a black person I've ever heard. I'll go, but hey, boy, give Lupowitz? Secure that shit! LeClaire, take point. Epstein, take the drag line. Where's Jimenez? <laughs> Baldaccio, go get Jimenez. He's taking a leak, Sarge. The, the, the fuck, huh? Now in 3D, Greg's All Ethnic Platoon. Tuesdays. Mondays, rather. <laughs> uh, so she's in a mid shot. 
with the witch, who, as you know, just sparkles. <laughs> and uh, Billy Burke, which I hadn't noticed in a thousand previous viewings, or maybe I had, but it had just passed into another part of my brain where the, uh, you know, where the platypus, the monotreme part of your brain. You know, we're all mammals, but some mammals are less developed than others. But Billy Burke goes like this in every scene. It, it, watch it the next time you watch it. She has the, the wand in one hand, and she goes. <laughs> she never stops doing it. <laughs> last time when she appears in the Emerald City, and they go, oh, here's someone who can help you. She walks into the scene like this. <laughs> it's fucking great. And... Judy's four foot eleven, maybe five with the heels, five one maybe. And Billy, how tall is Billy? And my wife goes, How short are the munchkins? <laughs> Knowing that Judy Garland's four foot eleven. The munchkins are tiny. Uh, but they pop up. She's standing there with Billy Burke, and uh, they're in the garden, right? And you see the plants, and then their little heads pop up. And in 3D, the heads popped up right in front of you. And there was all these little munchkin heads, and they go. <laughs> and it, that part was fucking good. I have to tell you, goddamn good. Um, I know we've talked about the Wizard of Oz a thousand times on the show, but um, the the. the Let's just talk. I had someone ask me because I went to the hospital a couple of weeks ago, and this isn't a plea for sympathy, but the question was this on a, on a scale of one to 10, how's your pain on a scale of one to 10, where do the flying monkeys fall in as emotionally upsetting? <laughs> do you remember the first time you saw the picture when you were six or seven or eight or 24 or whatever, whenever you first saw it, some people didn't see it to their adults. I understand. But other, most of you, did most people see it before the age of 10? Yes. I think a lot of people saw it before the age of seven. I'm saying three and four and five for a lot of people. When? Scarred. The monkeys and the witch's green head. And she takes Toto and is unseen. And in 3D, what a nice little dog. And just, and you're like, oh, fuck no. Fuck no. This is how long you have to be alive. And it's not long, my pretty. It's not long. Oh, shit, fuck. Fuck shit. And the monkeys, the monkeys, they're upsetting. When they take off, they leap right off the fucking parapet and fly away like monkeys that can fly. When they land in the forest, they land as if they're being held by a giant wire. And then they go, and it's horrible. The noise they make when they fly in and that shot where there's like a bunch of doll monkeys flying over Oz is... It's like the Planet of the Apes. You remember the upsetting soundtrack when they show the Ape City and it goes... You know, right? Like the crazy ape. Ape kill crazy ape and shit. Monkeys are upsetting in general. You put a fucking waiter's jacket on them and give them an army that can kill you and shit. Do what you want with the others. But I want a girl and her dog unharmed. Take care with those ruby slippers. And the monkey goes, and then jumps right off into the fucking... Ah! Ah! It's not fucking cool. Then at the end, the monkey's her friend. Remember? She, she melts the witch, and the monkey goes... Like that. that monkey has a fucking credit in the movie. If I had remembered it, I would be a good host. But it was worth it. I was I was a scared because I hate 3D because um, I'll be honest. 
the only thing I see in 3D is James Cameron's balls. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, it, it was, it's upsetting to me. I don't. I think it's gimmicky. And like last year, the movie I saw in 3D was Dial M for Murder, which takes place in a sitting room. So like, there's no reason for 3D at any point. <laughs> and why not just have the movie like, you know, what's that movie by Andy Warhol? Sleep in 3D. You know what I mean? Empire in 3D. Like, no, no, no. Everybody knows the 3D movie needs to be House of Wax or Buona Devil or, you know, one of the ones made made specifically for 3D. Uh, but it didn't hurt the Wizard of Oz at all. Anyway, these are some of the stars we saw when we were... Oh, kittens. These are some of the stars we saw when we were there. Uh, Margaret O'Brien, who still uh, looks fantastic. Uh, uh, blue hair. She had blue hair. She was wearing a blue dress and blue hair and blue shoes. Oh, yeah. It was great. <laughs> And she still acts exactly the same as she did in the old-time movies. It's fucking good. Uh, we saw Kim Novak. We spoke with her. It was one of the high points of my life. Uh, thank you. Never mind what happened on the Oscars. In person, I'm telling you, you will get so hot. And also, uh, hi, Miss Novak. It's great to see you. Hi. It's great to be here. I'm in Carmen. Yeah, it's kind of warm tonight. That's all people talk about in Hollywood the weather. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah. She spoke like a cat of prey. <laughs> she was wearing black, je- like black pants and this spangly black top, and had bitchin' hair, and was five ten. And it was, yeah, yeah. There was uh, pudding was served and uh, shortcake. It was, it was good. It was good. Uh, George Takiris was there. Uh, you'll know him as Bernardo from West Side Story, but he's also in a superb French musical by Jacques Demy called The Young Girls of Rochefort, um, which is a tremendous uh, picture that has a subplot of a serial killer set against a gay French seaside town. <laughs> yeah, it's V French. Uh, Maureen O'Hara was there. She's 94 and in a wheelchair. And I didn't know this about Maureen O'Hara. Color me ignorant. Um, she has the heaviest Irish brogue of any actress I've heard in the last thousand years. She never did in any movie you ever saw her in, because uh, you saw uh, uh, oh one of the one of the Clifton Webb movies that because uh, Clifton Webb's in this picture tonight. What's the one where he's Mr. Belvedere? He did two Mr. Belvedere ones, but she's yeah, and uh, 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 Maureen O'Hara is in that one, and she goes, "We thought you were a man. Uh, we thought you were a woman." That's one of the innuendo lines that they throw at Clifton Webb. Uh, and she was still a fox. And her clip reel was one of the great clip reels I've ever seen. She's in The Hunchback of Notre Dame with Charles Lawton. Then a bunch of pi- pirate movies with Ty Power and uh, Doug Fairbanks and Paul Heinlein and everybody. And then uh, a thousand John Wayne movies. And they show her falling in a fountain in her underwear, sword fighting, jumping on a horse, lighting a smoke, uh, being the mom, being the sex bomb. Like you went, wow, at the end of it. Uh, and, and then when she talked to you, talked like this, oh, it's grand to be her. You know, there's two things I like, making movies and soccer. And then she went off on her soccer team for like a year. <laughs> Something Rovers. I can't remember which fucking, some Irish team. We went and saw Jerry Lewis and, uh, Uh, Jerry controls a lot of the universe and uh, <laughs> like Doris Day it's really best not to fuck with him in any way because uh, a legion uh, talk about having an army of winged monkeys that comes to the forest and fucks you up 
He was very, he was in good form. Let me put it that way. When we saw him here at the Cine Family last year, and yes, we saw Jerry here at the Cine Family because the Cine Family provides all types of entertainment. Um, uh, I, I like the idea that William Friedkin was checking the sound here and made them take down the pictures. Uh, that's you're kidding. There is no sound, and the pictures don't come down. Um, I'm joking, of course, but everybody got all serious there just for a second. I've tried to steal the pictures, you see, and they don't. Um, Jerry was in good form, reasonably good form. He told, uh, yeah, anyways, he's, uh, he's fantastic beyond measure. There's no question. And they showed the Netty Professor, which there's, is undeniable. Uh, John Frick was there, as I said. Uh, Thelma Schoonmaker was there, who uh, is uh, Scorsese's editor and uh, has three Oscars for him. And uh, she told some unbelievably fantastic stories, but the most amusing and shortest of which is this. She was on the picture of Woodstock with Marty, right, uh, in 1969. And uh, the studio didn't want to make it, of course. And they went out there with like a ragtag crew and shit. And they had hotels in town, but of course you couldn't get back to town. Once you got to Woodstock, you were trapped there. And she said, Martin Scorsese brought cufflinks because he thought we were going to go to dinner that night. (laughs) You know I'd go from rags to riches. Uh... She's, a, she's astounding. There was a lot of fantastic women there. Uh, Shirley Jones was there. That's right, Shirley Partridge, to those of you who live in my neighborhood. Uh, she was hot then and she's hot now. She wore velvet hot pants in the Partridge family. And she was the mother of David and the father of Danny. And uh, Dave Madden passed away a few months ago. This one's for him as well. Drink it for some dead homies. He played Reuben Kincaid, the manager of the Partridge family. A man of infinite jest ratio. And uh, Shirley looked good. She looked good. And they showed Oklahoma. It was a restruck print at Mans... Uh, what do they call it now? I don't know. I don't care what they call it. At Grauman's Chinese Theater is where they show it. Because uh, I went there when I was five. And this will give you an idea of how perverse my parents... I've told you before on the show that my father took me to see The Wild Bunch when I was 10 years old. <laughs> And that's really not a movie for kids. I don't, you know, I was pretty mature for my age, obviously. I was wearing a, a suit and had a pipe, but uh, <laughs> I was upset by some of the violence in that movie. And uh, when I was five, I think we just went because we were just going, but we went to Grauman's. And so we saw the footprints, I remember that. And then we went inside and watched Seven Days in May with Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster, which is a terse nuclear, uh, g- the government takes over the government, kind of what happened during the Bush administration is, is, what's, is what Seven Days in May is about, right? Am I right? When there's a, this war that happens for no reason and only five guys wanted it and they're, and, and they're a small group, a ComCon, I think they're called. I don't remember it from when I was five. I fell asleep, obviously. But I remember my dad took me to see the Ten Commandments when I was little. And I got through the first half pretty well. But the second half, I was like, oh, you know. Because it's fucking long, man, when you're like five and shit. And Ben-Hur. I think I made it through Ben-Hur. Because as you know, at the beginning of the second half of Ben-Hur is the chariot race, which is one of the great... Let's face it. Ben-Hur hangs off the chariot race. I love Ben-Hur, but... I will try to wear this ring with honor and with respect. No matter where I travel. He's the Lord our God. It's fucking good. Uh, 
What else did we see? Uh, Shirley Jones, and she showed Oklahoma. And I'd forgotten that Oklahoma was about as scary as any movie I've ever seen in my life. It is, if you like the threat of sexual violation, uh, Oklahoma gets it done. I mean, you could say Abel Ferrara or whatever, but Oklahoma was like, what if Abel Ferrara had a choreographer? It was weird. She was 18 when she did it. Glorious. She said she shot the whole movie of Carousel, or not shot, but did all the prep work. They rehearsed, they recorded the soundtrack, her and Frank Sinatra. And then Frank jumped out of the movie when Ava called him and said, I'm in Africa with Clark Gable doing Magambo and I'm going to nail him if you don't come over right now. (laughs) That was fucking exciting. Just the thought of Ava Gardner was enough to get me through the whole festival. (laughs) And we saw um, a great Gatsby from the 40s with Alan Ladd that hasn't been shown in 40 years. And Alan Ladd was a superb Gatsby. And I've seen both of the other Gatsbys, the Baz Luhrmann one and the awesome Mia Farrow one. And uh, they're not good. Uh, this one was good and it captured the time it was made in the 40s and he was out of vogue at the time and Alan Ladd evidently really dug the movie his son uh, David Ladd came out and introduced it and it was, it was quite good indeed uh, to get to the matter at hand uh, Otto Preminger's movies are inevitably interesting he made every kind of picture um, from musicals he made um, uh, uh, Porgy and Bess he also made uh, comedies The Moon is Blue and whatnot. Um, he made uh, the junkie movie The Man with the Golden Arm with Frank uh, uh, dozens of different kinds of movies Bunny Lake which is a really weird 60s movie and then the unfathomably awful Skidoo late in the career um, yes yay people say Jackie Gleason's on acid in a jail cell and it, it's pretty weird he put Thomas Tryon in a movie with, and The Cardinal which is just beyond beyond Exodus nye. there's undeniable classics in his uh, genre obviously Anatomy of a Murder Carmen Jones and one of this one Laura uh, is his first great great big fucking Hollywood hit and he argued to get to be in it <coughs> they put Ruben Mamoulian on it Selznick did and it didn't work out and Preminger got the picture back and he wanted Clifton Webb in it uh, and let me just read you a quote from Otto Preminger uh, and this is uh, when I was little Otto Preminger was the very essence of um, how do I put this like a uh, you know the, the modern Von Stroheim or whatever right like Jodpers and a swagger stick a monocle a bald head and a, and a, 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 a stern Austrian accent uh, when a director had to be a psychopathic martinet that made everyone cry in order to get the picture done because of their vision and uh, Otto Preminger represented that when we were little and he parodied himself a million times and, and he acted as well which was awesome uh, this is a quote from Otto Preminger I do not welcome advice from actors they are here to act <laughs> For his appearance on Batman, Preminger was paid 2500 the standard fee for actors. The Screen Actors Guild got wind of this and ordered that none of their members were to work for Preminger unless he paid his SAG back dues for his appearance in Batman and other monies he... Uh, yeah. As a result, Preminger paid $7,600 out of pocket so he could play Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Batman, you will be extremely cold when I freeze you. Who remembers Vincent Price's egghead? Uh, Unbelievable. Exactly, Batman. But Victor Bono as King Tut really did a lot of heavy lifting on that show for me. That's the episode with the bat dance. 
This is by Richard Roud from Cinema, a Critical Dictionary. Normally, I don't read from film books, but this, I thought, quote, captured the essence of a lot of Preminger's work because it's often off-putting and it's often uh, not in the mainstream of what a regular, thank you, Hollywood director would um, do. Uh, Primitive's narrative line, Preminger's narrative lines are primitive's. Do you know Otto Preminger? He's uh, a relative of Otto Preminger. He was a distant cousin, and he actually came from Belgium, from a Flemish region uh, called... And um, the thing about Otto Preminger's career is it's brevity. It's really one movie and a commercial, and uh, neither of which was that widely seen at the time, but now are hailed as classics in Poland and many Eastern, former Eastern Bloc countries. In case you thought I made a mistake. Preminger's narrative lines are strewn with... Oh, right, that's good criticism. Are strewn with just... What's that laying there? Something that's been strewn in our path. (laughs) With deceptive counterpaths, shifting viewpoints, and ambiguous characters who perpetually slip out of static categories and moral definitions, Preminger and his... To some extent, his cousin, Prattinger, <laughs> frequently mystifies the spectator who is looking for a fixed moral reference. Oh, no, he's going to give you a moral reference because his morality was so fucking freaky. Freaky to deaky. Um, let's see here. Clifton Webb, very briefly, and we're moving into the movie. Uh, you'll be watching for him tonight. Uh, he dominates a lot of this picture. This picture has a superb Fortis cast. Uh, not one person in this doesn't deserve their entire own fucking documentary on their how great their career is. And I mean that with all of my heart. Um, first of all, uh, oh, Christ, I've just blanked on his name. Who's the lead? Dana Dana, I was going to say Dana Elkar for no good reason. Uh, Dana Andrews is is tremendous. And uh, this is one of his really terse, awesome detective roles. Uh, A couple of years later, he would do Best Years of Our Lives, where I don't don't see how he didn't get an Oscar, but that's me. Um, Dana Andrews, Jean Tierney. And Jean Tierney is a fascinating actress. uh, And she is the matter at hand tonight, her and Clifton Webb. Uh, Jean Tierney went to prep school. She went to a boarding school in Switzerland and learned French. She married Oleg Cassini, the designer, twice. Uh, She uh, suffered from terrible mental illness and depression and uh, did not always have a good time. But she went on a diet almost her entire career after a cameraman, when she first came to Hollywood, told her to lose a couple of pounds. And I'm looking for the quote that she had here because it's... Unbelievably sensational. Gene Tierney, I love to eat. For all of Hollywood's rewards, I was hungry for most of those 20 years. <laughs> She's great uh, in this movie, uh, but uh, there's another movie that I'll recommend to you if you don't know Gene Tierney, and it's called Leave Her to Heaven. Uh, and in that one, and I'm not spoiling the plot, a small child dies because of her. And see how happy I am by that? It's really terrific. I don't mean small children dying are terrific any more than I mean defending Nazis are terrific. I mean, the character she gets to play is really wild, and uh, you'll quite enjoy that. She also had an affair with JFK right after World War II. Yeah, and JFK said to her, "Um, I can't marry you because I want to have a career in politics. And then he ran and won uh, his seat in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. It's fucking hotter than you could possibly imagine. I don't know what you're doing in your life, 
Were you a Broadway star before you were 20? Did you have an affair with JFK? Did you make Laura? Well, then fuck you. Because Jean Tierney did. And according to her, in her contract, her overbite was never to be mended. Never to be mended. The overbite is incalculable. <laughs> Clifton Webb really was a stage actor and uh, did a couple pictures. They brought him out to Hollywood. He didn't dig it. They made him sit around. He came back after 50, had 15 pictures in a row that were hits from 50 till he lived with his mother his whole life. In those days, that was code for he batted for the other team. <laughs> He was also a confirmed bachelor. His mother and he lived together until he was 71 years old, at which point at 91 she passed. And he mourned so fervently and for so long that Noel Coward said, it must be terrible to be an orphan when you're 71. <laughs> I give you the movie, Laura, ladies and gentlemen. I think the scene with um, uh, Vincent Price, oh golly, I've just dropped her name. Who's the? Judith Anderson. Judith, yeah, Dame Judith Anderson and Waldo Lidecker when they're all there together. Daryl F. Zanuck thought um, Clifton Webb was a little fay. <laughs> and Preminger fought and got him. And one critic said, when you put Vincent Price and Dame Judith Anderson and Clifton Webb in a, in a drawing room together, really? <laughs> Really? Did anyone see the lamp on her desk? Uh, this movie is really Sakatum good, and it's 81 minutes long, and that's um, a warning to the filmmakers of today. Uh, if you can't crime this much lurid, psychosexual, fucking shape shifting, yeah, controlling, closety bullshit into a movie, you deserve to be whipped and sent home. If you need an hour and 40 minutes to do this and ironic bullshit, wow. Uh, there was nothing ironic in this movie. How about when he's in the bathtub writing his column in a fury? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's nothing but highlights, really. And uh, Dana Andrews, shut up, and then later punches Vincent Price in the bread basket. <laughs> the bread basket, right below the ribs. It is really something else. Uh, and this one launched everybody, and everybody went on from this. Uh, Dana uh, Andrews made Best Years of Our Lives. Uh, Gene Tierney made Leave Her to Heaven. Vincent Price, who in the, in the story is always, always like, oh, later the horror movies in his career. His first horror movie is 1939, so whatevs. Um, and then uh, Dane Judith Anderson had a fabulous uh, career after that. Uh, as I say, Clifton Webb went on. So he refused to make sequels, but he did do a sequel to Sitting Pretty with Mr. Belvedere. And it was like, I can't remember what it Mr. Belvedere's Day Out or something or whatever. Uh, where he played a male nanny in two movies. And, uh, yeah, he also played John Philip Sousa in a movie called Stars and Stripes Forever, which is uh, rather unforgettable that John Philip Sousa, to the best of my knowledge, is now a gay man from the 19th century who wrote <laughs> Marches. Uh, in any case, it's awesome. Let's do a couple questions, and then we'll, we'll roll out into this good night. I, I, I really can't say enough about how magnetizing uh, Jean Tierney is in this picture she's uh, everything that she needs to be the whole cast uh, 
it, 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 it's as high as it gets, I think, in World War II. Um, you, anybody? Robbo? I got the mic right here. That's Robbo. Hi. We were going to do an Arclight intro tonight and go, Hi, my name's Greg. If anything fucks up with the film, Robbo's outside smoking dope. <laughs> so go out there. This isn't so much a question, uh, but we, we know how much, or at least I consider it common knowledge, but since I don't really talk to people so much anymore, <clears throat> I don't know what's common knowledge. Where are you living now, Robbo? In a cave in Atwater? What's happening? Uh, in the case of David Lynch and Twin Peaks, hmm. and how uh, he took the, the framework of the let's talk about her when she's dead thing, and this is for you to actually expound on, if you like. Right, also, and Laura Palmer and all that. Yeah, and the uh, Waldo. The Laura Hunt, Laura Palmer. Heard. Yeah. So uh, what are your feelings on that, Greg? Well, I mean, uh, it's obvious that David Lynch saw the picture and that uh, he stretched it out over, what was it, two, three series instead of one 81-minute, unbelievably terse movie. Um, why not steal all the elements of this movie? Everything works in it. Um, the psychosexual obsession, the, uh, uh, the fact that um, everyone is completely effete and overeducated, which makes it awesome beyond measure. Um, I thought the women empowering parts were great, that when he helped her with his connections and his prestige, uh, he got her a job at, what was it, ba- Bullocks? Yeah. Yeah, which is actually, it, to anyone in L.A., a department store from the, from the old days. Um, and that she was the only lady in the boardroom, if you noticed, in a scene full of older white guys. Uh, when she always had ideas, she stands up and she has an idea in the board meeting and they all go, oh. Um, and then later, uh, Vincent Price calls everybody honey because he's from Kentucky uh, and dismisses the girl when he brings in the thing and goes, will this sell more underwear or sleepwear or whatever? And she's like, well, it's marvelous. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 she's empowered. Uh, e- even in death, she's wildly empowered. Um, what was the whole bag with breaking the radio and all that? That, that part's kind of a Chandler-esque loose end that you're like, I don't understand. <laughs> what, if you went to your cabin to be by yourself and you hated Vincent Price because you knew he was gay too and was going to marry Dame Judith Anderson later. Uh, the scene with uh, Judith Anderson and Laura in the um, uh, ladies' toilette is my favorite scene, I think, in the movie. He's, he's better for me, dear, she says while she's putting her lip liner on and then pulls her veil down. <laughs> I can afford him. That is, uh, that's writing is what that is. Nothing blew up in that movie. Uh, and when there was special effects, it was Dana Andrews kicking a glass pane in in an uh, antique clock. So really, yeah. If you're an antique dealer, this movie's a travesty. One more question. Two more. Anything? Any, any discussion? I know there's not a lot of you, but well, this is how the show works. At the beginning, I blather, and then at the end, I flounder. And then, then it's revealed who actually uh, picked this movie, which was my wife. Why are you yelling? There's Robbo. Where's your microphone? Hi, hello. Hi, what's your name? Hi, Brian. Hello, Brian. Hi. Shut up. Now, sorry, I just felt like being like Dana Anders for a minute. Could he be more terse? Also, indoor smoking in apartments, awesome. Can we bring it back, please? Can we bring back adulthood in America instead of the infinite, 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 the babyization of everything? People drank and smoked in every scene, by the way, every scene, including when Waldo passed out on the floor, both Gene Tierney and Dana were lit when they took him to the bedroom. That's how we treat people who pass out, have a cigarette in their face. It's awesome. And then they gave him a, a pill that was in his right breast pocket or whatever. What was Waldo P. Lidecker taking as well? 
uh, as having a drink. Oh, and I, what was it? I won't be left out when he ha- and they all have a drink in the daytime. And did you see Dana Andrews gun the drink when he went? I have to be back at the station at noon. <laughs> but I thought you wanted to ask me a quick little glug. Fantastic. What was your yes, sir? I was wondering if, you, if you'd seen uh, his kind of woman. Oh, Vincent heck Price, yes! My favorite Vincent Price performance. I'd, if you can help me reconstruct the line at the end of the movie when he's with Robert Mitchum, Vincent Price plays a ham actor. Well, Vincent Price plays Vincent Price <laughs> as as an action star, and then they end up at this resort, and Raymond Burr's the Italian gangster, awesomely, and uh, 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 Robert Mitchum and. and uh, um, Uh, Jane Russell have to join forces but at the end when the shit hits the fan and the gangsters start a shootout Vincent Price as an actor grabs a gun and is like follow me and everybody's like but aren't you just an actor and he's like no fuck it I'm leading the charge on this one and at one point Robert Mitchum goes uh, Vincent Price says they won't shoot me and and Robert Mitchum says why and Vincent Price goes uh, too famous The whole movie of His Kind of Woman is worth it for that and that Jane Russell sings a song where she calls San Bernardino San Burdu. That presumes that at one point in the history of California, San Bernardino was a glowing nuclear no-go zone <laughs> as we know it today. It's like singing a song about Pomona and making it sexy. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to Pomona. Boom, boom, boom. Like, no, no, we're not going to Pomona or Claremont during my lifetime. (laughs) Unless there's a gun to my head. In which case, you can take me in a white unmarked van and then it's another movie altogether. Is that it then? That's it. Wow, okay, thank you, Robbo. I guess you'll be calling the shots on my fucking show from now on. Welcome to the Robbo Film Club. Robbo doesn't get out much and had a Twin Peaks question from 1990 for tonight's audience. And uh, he was outside smoking through a lot of the movies. So I think really the Greg Proops Film Club needs to be handed over to Robbo. My anger is my own creation. Uh, well, then, if that's it and no one else wants to discuss anything, let me just say this. Uh, May 7th, uh, we're going to try for Point Blank by John Borman with Lee Marvin. And, uh, yeah, if you like Terse tonight, uh, Point Blank's even... What if this movie had no dialogue and there was long shots of uh, Dan Andrews walking a lot and then slapping the shit out of people? That's what Point Blank is. And it's that good. Uh, and you need to be here for that. And so don't miss it. And everybody come back with two people. Uh, and then we'll fill this fucking place. I appreciate you guys coming out so much tonight. This has been the Greg Proofs Film Club. Uh, we'll be back on May 7th with uh, uh, Point Blank, we hope. If not Point Blank, then... What was it? What was it? Ipcris File? I get a feeling they're Ipcris File resistant here. Someone applauded. Maybe Funeral in Berlin, then. In any case, uh, we'll be back then. Thank you very much for coming out. You've been a lovely crowd tonight. Yeah.